You're listening to the Shooting the Ropes, Michigan Wrestles the 90s. And of course, everyone remembers that back in the 90s, we had the, the upstage of the WCW and the WWF uh, Monday Night Wars. We had the WWF Attitude Era beginning. But also during the 90s, we had independent wrestling on the rise. And not just anywhere, but we're talking about the state of Michigan this time. And this is all like having to do with the state of Michigan and the 90s and independent wrestling. The guest right now is a Hall of Famer, a manager, a wrestler, a trainer, and currently the Holly Township Parks Commissioner. He is the pre-boy redneck, Levi Blue. Levi, thanks for coming on. Hey, no problem, man. Thanks for having me. Now, of course, we, we got to ask, you, well, one, you've been in this business 23 years. It's been 23 years this month, actually. Uh, actually, wrestling 23 years. I actually yes. started, I believe, in 96, started going to shows, and I believe training in, yeah, I, I started training in 97, so. Okay, but yeah, you, but your your first match, though, was on the 17th of January, 1998. Yes, sir, against uh, <laughs> Joe E. Legend. Yep, remember that match like it was yesterday. And I'll tell you what, the, the, the card for that first show that you were on was stacked. It was stacked with a lot of guys that are, are names now, and even back then on the independent scene, not just in the state of Michigan, but outside as well. Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, like I said, I started going to independent shows in 96, and – uh to be i believe the show was called return to insanity 2 and uh to be a part of that show even though it was quick i gotta say you know uh joey legend i mean let, let's just shoot here uh i was just a, a greenhorn rookie coming out he needed someone to beat the crap out of and uh i i, I was the sacrificial lamb so to speak and uh, I come to the ring, hand to God. I was supposed to come down to the ring with the ring music, Sad But True by Metallica. And the music guy screwed it up. And I wound up coming down to Get in the Ring by Guns N' Roses, probably one of the slowest songs in the world. And I, I come down to the ring in a pair of white tennis shoes, a full pair of blue jeans, and a cut-off flannel shirt. And that's what I told Sweet Daddy Malcolm Monroe. That was my gimmick. And uh, <laughs> Joe had every right to beat the dog shit out of me, and he didn't. And uh matter of fact, he uh, gave me a lot more in that match than what he should have. And, you know, I can never thank Joe enough because he, he put a confidence in me that second match when I came out, I, uh, I was at the American GI Forum in Mexican Town. Mm-hmm. I was a completely different person because of Joe. Because my first match I come out, I was scared to death and intimidated by everyone that was in that locker room. That second match I came out, and that was Levi Blue. Now, now let's travel back a bit real quick. Um Obviously, the, the usual questions. How did you end up getting into wrestling? How how did you find out that there was wrestling in the state of Michigan? Because obviously, we had the WCW and we had the WWF at that time out there. And then we also had Eastern Championship Wrestling that later on turned into Extreme Championship Wrestling. Right. Well, uh, I'm going to take a long story and make it real short. Uh, <laughs> at the time, I was working at a video game store that you old timers might remember as Funko Land. 
And uh, <laughs> oh, wow, I, I actually still have my Funko Land card. If you believe that. Um. Yeah. I, I, that thing will probably crumble at this point. I mean, hell, we're talking. Well, ninety-six or so twenty-five years ago. Uh huh. So, that free so, monthly subscription if you buy a game and a membership for the uh, the, the uh, that magazine, whatever it was. I I don't remember the name of it. I think it was just a player's fun club or some mess like that. Uh-huh. But, but uh no, a guy come in, uh I believe at the time it may have been PlayStation games, but I'm it had to be. It was PlayStation one. No, no, no. I don't think PlayStation uh, PlayStation came out, I think it was a ninety seven. Okay, so then maybe it was a Super Nintendo. So it was probably, it was probably like Nintendo 64 or something like that, because I think that came out right around that time, or Super Nintendo. Uh, I, I don't remember. It was one of those. Any, anyway, the guy came in to reserve a wrestling game, and we got to talking. Make, uh, he, he come up with telling me his name was Mr. GQ, and he was a manager for uh, Insane Championship Wrestling, and he did this hotline, uh, a 438 number. I uh-huh. Uh, 313-438-2138. That's how many times I dialed that number. I still got it remembered. And uh, I, I thought it was a joke. I called the hotline and I kind of chuckled and laughed and hearing names like Christian Cage and Sexton Hardcastle and Rhino Richards. I'm like, what, what the hell is this? And uh, so my buddy Dan, who later became known as a referee by the name of Warren Van Dyke, uh, we went down to, uh, I think it was in Roseville, a place called the Palladium. And I went mm-hmm. to my first uh, ICW match. And let's just say I stopped laughing, uh, especially seeing uh, guys who, you know, later became WWE superstars mm-hmm. uh, performing two feet in front of me. I I had to be a part of it. Um uh, that, you're, 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 you're talking about Thug Life with uh, Rhino and, and uh, Christian and, well, he, uh, yeah, Christian. And Edge, of course, was known as Sex and Hardcastle back then. Right, yeah. You had Christian Cage and Sex and Hardcastle. They were known as the Suicide Blondes, I believe. Uh, mm-hmm. Rhino Richards, Joey Legend, and they all made up Thug Life. Uh, I believe also, well, it, uh, Sexton Hardcastle, I believe, had just started teaming with uh, Christian Cage because it was I came in right at the breakup of the tag team known as Sexton Violence, which was mm-hmm. Joey Legend and uh, Sexton Hardcastle. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, so I, I got to see all those guys. Uh, the match that hooked me was uh, uh, I'd never seen hardcore before. Uh, we mm-hmm. didn't have cable. I wasn't a tape trader, so I didn't know what ECW was. And mm-hmm. uh, I uh, watched the Brass Knuckles championship match between Bill Scullion versus the Alexis Machine. And Alexis Machine busted Bloody Bill Scullion open somehow. Anyway, Bloody Bill come over, and he leaned over top of me and literally bled all over me from my brand-new work boots all the way up to the shirt I was wearing. And wow. I, looked at, I looked at my buddy Dan, and I said, I got to do this. <laughs> and that's what started it all. Okay. Now, now, how – obviously, uh, new trainer, uh, Malcolm Monroe, senior – 
we had <laughs> yeah also uh his son dba who's who was starting off right uh he started off a year before you did yep in his first match and also uh rick matrix did he rick help Ma- you yeah, I believe Rick Matrix started out as the, I guess he would have been uh, Sweet Daddy's assistant trainer, and Malcolm mm-hmm. was there, or, or the DBA was there to uh, walk me through learning everything. So, yeah, I essentially uh-huh. had the two trainers. Uh-huh. But Sweet Daddy, so we're talking the end, end of the 90s there, so about 97. Uh, wrestling was still pretty kayfabe back then. So mm-hmm. when I went to find the sweet daddy, I went walking to my second show at the Palladium. And, you know, of course, here I saw this very large man sitting at a table. And I says, uh, I'm looking for sweet daddy Malcolm Monroe. He looks at me, he's like, who are you? I, I said, well, I, I want to learn how to, how to train to be a wrestler. Well, Malcolm ain't here right now. Oh, okay. And. A little bit later on in the show, I learned that that guy, that was Malcolm Monroe. And uh, (laughs) (laughs) so I hounded him for about a year. And uh, I would get to shows and I would go. So so you kept kept asking him for a year and he kept just playing it off? Right. Yeah. Oh, wow. I kept wanting to train. (laughs) And uh, he he said, well, Back then, I was uh, five foot eight. I was pushing almost three hundred pounds. I was a big okay. boy, and mm-hmm. uh, once I saw that, and I started threatening—not threatening, but <laughs> I wanted to go. Uh, I was going to go to Irish Mickey Doyle School, or I was going to go to Body Slammers in Ohio. Uh-huh. Uh, after about a year, Malcolm had me doing everything from setting up rings to working security. You you name it, I did it. I, I was a grunt for a year. Uh, finally, he looked at me and. Uh, he told me to give him $50 and uh, mm-hmm. I said, okay, I just handed him 50 bucks. He goes, okay, are you ready? This is your tryout. And he put me in the <laughs> ring and, uh, bumped me to death. I, I mean, about killed me. Um, but he made sure that I paid my dues before he even started training me. And mm-hmm. if it wasn't for that, I probably wouldn't respect the business as much as I do today. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, especially, it, 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 it's funny just to hear that he literally just said, nah, he ain't here for a whole year. I mean, that definitely showed your dedication, but that, that, that's just funny to me. I mean, I mean, I mean, obviously things are different now than they were um, back then, um, but it's just funny that, you know, he just kept pushing you off and then for that, uh, you know, finally he decided, all right, you know, he finally opened up. Let's, let's face it, Malcolm wasn't the type of guy to just take a person's money uh, mm-hmm. for the sake of, of taking a person's money and, and saying, okay, you're trained. He wanted to make sure that, you know, I had a passion for the business and, you know, that I was going to, uh, you know, follow through on it. And uh, mm-hmm. I, I wasn't about to give up, man. I mean, we wound up uh, specifically in, you know, DBA will attest to this, Rick Matrix will attest to this. I guess I must have proved myself to him because he, he went out for me specifically and he found a building on seven and grand river. And that's where he opened up uh, the wrestling school. And mm-hmm. it, it was up above this big lots. And uh, yeah, that, that, yeah, that, that's what I was going to ask. I, I kept hearing that it was like on the second level. 
Yeah, you would go upstairs. There was like two flights of stairs. You get up above this big lot, and when you got up there, there was like this maze of rooms. And in every room, there was like a a, a band playing, you know, punk punk mm-hmm. rock or metal or something like that. And we had one room, and it was just big enough for the ring to fit in there. Uh, you can only hit two sets of ropes, and you weren't coming off that top rope unless you were ducked down. But that's where we trained at. And uh, they have shows. We'd go up and down two flights of stairs to wow. rip apart and load it up. After shows, same thing. Two flights of stairs, rip that ring apart, set it back up. So, Wow. Well, it, it, at least he was, you know, definitely teaching you the basics and no, no, none of that high flying stuff, you know, just like, you know, today where, you know, everyone's doing that and then, you know, they try jumping off the top rope. Cause you guys had no room. You basically, it sounds like you guys had no room to fall out of the ring either. Uh, well, you could run, you could, you could, uh, tumble out the front. So like the door where you came in at, there was probably about, a four foot space between the door and the ring and Malcolm Malcolm would sit off to the right side on the front right corner and that's mm-hmm. where he, he would watch us and you know shout instructions to us. So wow. man I miss those days. He <laughs> <laughs> I mean he, he wasn't a stickler at all. Um I mean he was he was all business. I mean I, I before I really knew who, who he was um, he was, he wouldn't deal with anything. He wouldn't deal with crap. And, and I, I knew that, um, the first time I ever met him and that was when we had an interview, um, an interview with him, uh, when I, when I was just a co-host on, on the, um, radio back in 98, him and the Cole brothers came in to, uh, talk about an ICW show and he was not taking any crap at all. I tried to ask him a question. Um, and he just ignored me because to him that was it was a BS question, and he didn't want to uh, didn't want to deal with it, you know. And then also meeting him outside um, at at shows afterwards, you know, um, same thing, all business, you know. If you had nothing, you know, nothing really having to do with what he was doing, he didn't care, you know. And I'm not, and I'm not saying that it's a bad thing. I'm just saying that you know if if. Uh, <clears throat> Basically, he didn't want to deal with the BS. Well, when when you got close to him mm-hmm. um, and, and you got to know him, I mean, it, nothing was off limits. Uh, I would mm-hmm. call him, uh, you know, at least twice a week when I wasn't training uh, yeah. uh, and ask him for advice. Uh, you know, he, he really did become like my uh, second dad at one point. You know, my parents... When when they found out I was training to be a wrestler, you know, I had moved out, moved back in once or twice. And when they found out that I was training to be a wrestler, my dad wound up kicking me out of the house. Wow. And, you know, I, I think I've wrote about this in blogs and stuff before. I was working at a Kroger store and uh, in Rochester. And I would, I, I was driving a little S10 pickup truck and I would... After work, I would drive to the uh, training facility, and uh, I would stretch out in the back of my truck. I had a camper on it, and I would sleep there. You know, a lot of times, DBA and Malcolm would come over. I'd be asleep in my truck. And then mm-hmm. when I when I leave from there, there was a truck stop on the way home. I'd stop there and shower. 
and then mm-hmm. I would uh, go go back to Kroger, and I would stay in my truck, you know, sleep, eat, whatever, uh, get up, go to work the next morning, and do it all over again. Mm-hmm. So, and it wasn't until Warren Van Dyke found out about this, I, I, you know, I didn't have a place to live, and uh, uh, that's when I would call Malcolm, you know, once or twice a week, and he uh, really became a big part of my life then. So I, mm-hmm. I, I'm think about him all the time, miss him all the time. But, uh, you know, if, if it wasn't for him, I don't think that I would be a success that I am outside of wrestling. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? He, he helped mold me into the man that I am today. So mm-hmm. now, now uh, I, I've heard you say numerous times, um, before when you went to train, didn't you have when somebody else train with you, like one of your friends train with you or something like that? And they, something like that, they didn't make it through the training or whatnot. It was too hard or. Okay. I, I was going to, uh, <laughs> the name Levi blue just wasn't thrown out there. I, uh, the, the Dan Summers, uh, AKA Warren Van Dyke. He, he was mm-hmm. a very, very large man. He was actually going to train to be a wrestler with me. Yeah. And we were going to be called Levi and Gene Blue, the Blue Brothers. And okay, he, <laughs> I know it's stupid, but you know, <laughs> uh, to, to, to be to be honest, I'll tell you this: for the, for the people that end up listening to this, I'm kind of glad I didn't do the video because I'm like rubbing my forehead like excessively right now just by once you said that. It's like, wait a minute. Wow. <laughs> yeah, not too many people know that, but yeah, it was going to be Levi and Gene Blue, and uh, he he was just too big. I think Dan at that time was pushing almost four hundred pounds. Okay, and uh, he was about five foot seven, and while I was losing weight, Dan Dan was gaining weight, and uh, where, so where, I I got I, I got to ask him. So I, I didn't mean to cut you off because now now it's like running through my head. <laughs> Um, one, I was, I was originally going to ask you where, where you got that name. Cause I know a lot of, um, wrestlers back in the nineties, um, their trainers were given their name. So I'm guessing they didn't give you that name. Uh, that was the name that you came up with, but where did you, where and why did you decide that was, uh, why that was going to be the name? I'm just really curious now. <laughs> um, well. <laughs> <laughs> I, I honestly, I, I don't know. Uh, I wanted a part of my real name in there. My my middle name is Lee, and okay. Uh, okay. You know, so you, you so you drive part of it from the middle. Okay, I get that part. All right. Yeah. Um, and then I had a woman at work that I hated tremendously. <laughs> it was and named wanted, Jean. <laughs> no, no, no. Her her name her name was actually Lee Blue. Really. Yeah. So I'm like, what a slap in this bitch's face <laughs> if I take her name. And uh Okay. And it just kind of steamrolled from there. Now, to be fair, um you said that most trainers give people their names. Well what yeah. Huh? I said so from from uh, some of the the guys that I know from like the early nineties uh, that I've uh, talked to, they've said, well, not always would you be able to pick your own name that they would give you a name. Right. Well, that's how I kind of got my first nickname because Malcolm saw how I was dressed and he looked at me. He goes, "Well, you're going to be the rebel." Okay. So 
that's I, that's my first nickname. I became the Rebel Levi Blue. Okay, so, so he gave you that one. He gave you that yeah. nickname. Okay. Yeah, because trust me, I've, I've got your nicknames all on this piece of paper I'm looking at right now. Oh, my so I've God. I've got questions. 50 of them. Huh? I said there has to be like 50 of them. <laughs> well, well, the, the, the notable ones, you, you just said the Rebel. Yeah. You were once uh, Lieutenant Levi. Yep. Um, of course, Dirty White Trash. Yeah. Um, and then uh, the other one, I, I only put like four of them. Um, uh, obviously, the Pretty Boy Redneck. Um, and then uh, Kentucky Bad Boy. Where did that one come from? <laughs> okay. Uh, many, 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 many years ago, uh, I went to the mall and I saw a Confederate flag jacket. And I really, really wanted it. So I bought it. Uh, I, it was at some shop in the mall. I bought it, and the guy sold me on a Confederate hat. It was like a leather Confederate hat. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, damn, if, you know, with this leather, I, I'm going to be a bad man. And my wife looked at me, she goes, no, you're going to be a bad boy. And I was like, oh, I'm from Louisville, Kentucky. <laughs> so, that, I mean, my wife pretty much came up with that one. So I became the Kentucky okay. bad boy, Levi Blue. So. Yeah, th- what's funny is that, I, you know, obviously for all these, I'm doing a lot of research, and that one came up, and I'm like, I don't remember that one. I'm like, I definitely have to ask him that one. The, the lieutenant one, I remember that gimmick. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to remember if you did the, the, the one your uh, notorious one, um, your uh, Ooga Booga. I can't remember if you did that in the '90s or if that didn't come out until after the two, until uh, 2000s. That came after the Dirty White Trash era. Yeah. Okay, that's what it was. Okay. Yeah, you are missing one. I can't believe you're missing it. I was teamed up with a guy by the name of the Hardcore Hottie Mojo, and I was Drop Dead Sexy Levi Blue. That's what it was. It was I I knew it was something sexy, but I didn't know what what the rest of it was. I couldn't remember it, and for some reason, I could not find it. (laughs) Good. It's been hidden away until now. Kind of like those pictures that Ryan Smith. Yeah, had. you know what? I was just about to say that too. I was just about to say that when you, but you, you beat me to it. <laughs> oh wow. Uh, but no, uh, let's uh, like I said, let's go back a bit. Um, uh, I'm trying to think where where am I at now? Like like we said, the first match that you had was uh, January 17th, 1998, at the uh, ICW's. Uh, Show for the at the Metropole Music Center in Warren, or cafe in Warren, Michigan, against Joe E. Legend, and you were actually the fourth match on that card. Which usually, for someone that's new, usually, you know, especially I, I guess I'm going from nowadays. Usually, that those are usually the the, the first couple matches, but you were you were right there in the middle. Um, going over that card, you, we had uh, Rhino Richards, which is Rhino, uh, defeating Jason Fuller. Yeah, um, Mr. Mills yeah, the eight mile. Yeah, the Big Daddy Adams uh, going against Sheik Abdul to no contest. We had the DBA against JT Lightning, and of course your match, um, which like, like I said, let's go back to the, the first show that you were on. Showing up there, you said you obviously you were nervous and whatnot. Just kind of, if you can, I mean, obviously it was a long time ago. Um, just how you were feeling? Were you 
were did you obviously you know tell a bunch of people hey i'm going to wrestle or did you basically just kind of incognito it with uh with people well uh my close friends knew that i was wrestling the mm-hmm. friends that i had made at the wrestling shows didn't know i was wrestling okay so when i started going to uh the palladium and whatnot and i made friends with quite a few people uh one of them was uh sean smiley mm-hmm. and his they were they were fans as well and uh i remember the look on sean's face when i came through the curtain the first time he about shit his pants <laughs> I, I I talked about that I wanted to do it, but I never really told anybody I was training, and I never really told anybody in that crowd I was wrestling because of kayfabe. You know mm-hmm. that, and that's exactly what it was. And you were ba- were you basically like before that just doing security or or? I would do whatever they put me out to do. Okay. Um, so security i was uh you know grabbing uh wrestlers gear taking it to the back okay. you know whatever had to be done I, I was the gopher i'd go for this go for that whatever whatever malcolm wanted that's what i was doing okay now now when you when you now obviously through your training he told you okay show up you're gonna wrestler or did you not know until well like you said when you got there but were you aware of who you were gonna wrestle in your first match no uh, so the, 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 the true story of it is, is, uh, I, I was training, there was like two or three different guys that was training with me at that point that, you know, after I started, started in after me and Malcolm mm-hmm. one day came in and he announced whoever finished paying off their wrestling school tuition would get their first match the following month. Okay. And so I went to my buddy, James Engel, and he he was a pretty heavy investor. And I'm like, hey, if you give me, you know, X amount of dollars, I'll give you 20% upon the return. Mm-hmm. So he, he gave me the money, and I paid Malcolm, and then he told me who I was wrestling. And then I was a bit nervous. Mm-hmm. But he... uh it wasn't until show day that uh, the nerves really hit me. But mm-hmm. like I said, uh, Joe, Joe being the professional that he was, uh, talked me through it, walked me through it. And then when we got out to the ring, he completely changed everything on me. <laughs> yeah, sure. Uh, I, I remember at one point in time, uh, he put me in a side headlock and one of the first things I did, and any worker worked their skin, I'll tell you, you don't do this. I put my face down. I was looking at the ground. And wow. uh, you can watch the video. I think I still got the video somewhere. He takes his knuckle on his middle, his middle knuckle on his right hand, and he pops me on the bridge of the nose so hard, you think I broke my nose. And uh, wow. learned my lesson on that one real quick. <laughs> so. Wow. Now, uh, now during that time when, when you were wrestling, um, now were you were you only allowed to work for Malcolm, uh, Malcolm Senior, or were you allowed to kind of go out and? I mean, there weren't that many promotions at at that time, um, but no. were you kind of able to spread yourself out a bit, or or? I was traveling with DBA, so mm-hmm. like I would go to Ohio with them, or 
you know, wherever we were booked at. Um, Malcolm at that time was running two promotions. He was running Insane Championship Wrestling and Midwest mm-hmm. Championship Wrestling. Mm-hmm. So I was wrestling for those two uh, two companies. And mm-hmm. then people started taking interest in me. And I, I, I believe I didn't venture away from ICW for the first two, three years. And then I started asking permission to mm-hmm. go to other promotions. And so, even even to this day, uh, if I get a call from a company, you know, I, I'll still call DBA. You know, it's like, hey, man, I'm thinking about wrestling for so-and-so. Do you mind? Mm-hmm. And uh, no, bro, go for it. You know, it, it's just... I have a it's, it's second nature to you, basically. I mean, it's something you've always done, and it and it's it just goes to show that, um, also your respect for the 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 Monroe family, really. Exactly. You know. Exactly. Am I wrestling now? No, I haven't wrestled in two years. But you know, yeah. um, if if someone were to call me, someone I didn't know, or you know, maybe something I was feeling sketchy on, I would call DBA in a heartbeat and ask him for his blessing to go work for that company. So mm-hmm. now, I mean, it, what, the last time you really wrestled was uh, didn't you wrestle a little bit after after you and uh, Billy Ray won uh, season five of the uh, Proving Grounds? That uh, was probably right around the uh, last time you really. Um, obviously, last year, you know, it's been so messed up with everything going on, but. Right, yeah, uh, it was Proving Grounds. Uh, we were wrestling for, uh, we wrestled, I think, for Eric Freedom once. Mm-hmm. Wrestled for, we were wrestling for Andrew Darcy. What, what started happening was, is after Proving Grounds, uh, Billy Ray, man, he was getting bookings right and left and wanting me mm-hmm. to go with him. Uh, you know, at that time, I was 45 years old, and, uh, I, I I just I don't have the go like I used to, so uh, mm-hmm. I I had, I had to step back from Billy Ray and let him do his singles deal. So mm-hmm. now on here too, um, now obviously some of the promotions you you did branch out to. Um, you worked for uh, Great Lakes Wrestling for uh, Mike Kelly. Um, yeah, we obviously we talked about ICW and in, in, um, Midwest Championship Wrestling. Also, the uh, IWO for Mr. Big. <laughs> oh God, that's an old one, yeah. And, and, and I'm and I'm bringing this up because from now I'm not sure if you would work now. The first show that I went to for the IWO um, was out at Milford High School in ninety. Uh, that was ninety eight. I think it was around November or something like that. It was right around because I remember I ended up getting the flyer for uh, um, at the NSWA show which was, I think, like later at the end of the month or whatnot. I don't remember. I don't know if you were at that show at all. I know uh, I remember some of the, the names because I remember the the main event was Insanity versus Nighthawk, and they went all over the high school gym. I remember that. But the, the one show I remember, and I always bring it up, is the IWO show um, in Pontiac. In, oh, God, are you going to bring up the church rectory yes, again? Yes, I'm going to bring that up again. Yep, I have to bring that up. I have to bring it up. That hot, sweaty, nasty building in the middle of the afternoon. It had to have been like 120 in there and like 99 outside. It was, it was bad. <laughs> but uh, the, the, <laughs> don't 
I think that well what I was gonna say um how was it working for Mr. Big? I don't know how many shows you worked for him, but I you know I, obviously that's one of the things I remember. Uh, I worked a lot of shows for Mr. Big. Um, you know, Joe's a good guy. Uh, we lost contact here in the last couple years. Um, his shows were a little more, I guess you could say, loose, not as structured. Uh, he worked like hell to run a professional uh, show. I mean, he had guys on there that I had no idea who they were, like uh, Matt Maverick. Storm yeah, a, a, a lot, uh, yeah, a lot of the guys from the Grand Rapids area were, were yeah. always on these shows. We had uh, Wolfgang Schultz and the Money Man and Swinging Sammy and, you know, guys I never really heard of before. Um, mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, that church rectory, man, I wrestled Rough House Rob. Mm-hmm. And like you said, it was like 120 degrees. I think there were <laughs> three people in the crowd. And Rob and I went out there, and we put on a banger. I mean, we went all out, full-on hardcore match in a church rectory. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it was a good time for what it was. But I look back at it now, I'm like, man, did that for three people. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and me and the person I was with at the time, we were two of them. So that, that, that's two of them right there. Yeah. I, I, I remember they had a battle royal during that thing as well. And that was like there was weapons used during that. It was, it was a good show, but it was it was it was too hot. I mean, even with the window, even with the doors open in the entire place, it was. It was I don't even know if I part. I don't even know if I participated in that battle royal. Um, well, see, th- th- this is why I, I I recall that you did because I remember you had a toilet seat around your head. No, that was Rob. Why? What was that? Oh, was that Rob? That was Rob. Yeah, okay, yeah. one of you guys. Okay, well, I know you were involved. When that happened, I think you might have been the one that put it on the set. I'm not sure. We, we did because we fought into the bathroom. Uh, we we went to the dollar store before the match started, and we went and bought all kinds of gimmicks. And one of them was a toilet seat from this place. So <laughs> at one point, we gimmicked it up, and we we uh, went to the bathroom, put the toilet seat around Rob's neck. I come out mm. with the plunger. I stuck it on his ass, act like it was stuck on his ass, and then yeah, we turned around. I told him to taste it, and I hit him in the face with it. And Rob still won't let me live that down to this day. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Now, um, now, as I said, you worked with uh, – now, when you were talking about when you drove around with um, with DBA, I'm, I'm, so I'm guessing you went down to uh, Cleveland Ultra, down there, Cleveland. Uh, Lightning Promotion? Yeah, uh, worked for JT Lightning, yeah, wrestled uh, – Oh, Wicked Billy Myers, the Canadian bad boy, uh, wrestled DBA. Yeah, that's a fun story. Opening match, hit me in the head with a chair, split my head wide open. The building that we were running in didn't, uh, it was a condemned movie theater. How JT got permission to run inside that place, I don't know. It didn't have any running water. I'm a bloody wreck. I have to go out for the fourth match for a tag team match. So we go upstairs. Well, there's no upstairs. It goes right to the roof of this building. It's 100 degrees on this roof. And I looked at Malcolm. I said, you know, what am I going to do? You know, I'm, I'm a bloody mess. I got to go out fourth match. The only thing that we had that was liquid was Listerine. And I remember oh, him. No. Oh, my God. <laughs> Set me on fire. But I got cleaned up, got down there for the fourth match. 
wicked Billy Myers hauls off and hits me in the top of the head. And in the, <laughs> in the same spot. Uh, yeah, I'm a bloody mess again. But I remember JT telling me, he's like, okay, listen, I know you're going to get busted open. So when you do, get out of the ring, and I want you to go up to the fans and show them that wrestling's not fake. Oh. So the <laughs> the only thing I can think of, I roll out of the ring, I go outside, I'm walking, and blood is just pouring off my head. I had flashbacks to the Bloody Bill match. I just started bleeding all over the fans in the front row. <laughs> in the front row. <laughs> After that, my tag team partner, uh, Creed, he he wouldn't even tag me in. He wound up getting an ass beaten for like nine minutes. Wouldn't tag me in at all. So flash forward ahead to the next show, I'm teaming with Creed at uh, some high school, Inkster High School maybe. And uh, Malcolm wants to start teasing a split. He's like, I want you guys to split up. You know, I want you to tease it, have a push off or whatever. We go to tease the split. No, I just wound up beating the shit out of Creed and walking out of the match. <laughs> so I remember Malcolm was so pissed off at me. You guys weren't supposed to break up yet. Well, it's already done, Malcolm. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, yeah. Now, now, you obviously, uh, I mean, for, for the people that, that uh, aren't completely aware, I mean, obviously, you, you can go online now. You can Google and stuff. But how was it, other than um, you being on the road with with, with uh, Malcolm, um, back then, obviously, trying to get booked was a little bit differently than it is now, obviously. Um, now, did you have did you have any issues of getting of wanting to get booked? Were there places you wanted to get booked, but you didn't know, you know, if uh, they book you or not? Or well. well. Okay, let's fast forward ahead out of the 90s a little bit. Okay. I think it was about 2000, 2001, I started teaming up with a guy by the name of Big Zed McIntyre. Mm-hmm. And we started running this gimmick by the name of Dirty White Trash. Mm-hmm. Well, at that time, I believe Edge and Christian had been signed. So, you know, one of the biggest tag teams in Michigan was gone. Uh, mm-hmm. The Cold Brothers were running strong. And mm-hmm. if I remember right, there was a website, I believe it was called NWOW. Yep, that'd be mine. Uh-huh. Okay, and they had a year-in uh, tag team of the year awards, uh-huh. and I don't remember the whole gimmick. What happened? I think I think we lost by one vote. But Zed and my arguments were, well, we didn't get a chance to cast our votes, so we're actually the number one tag team in Michigan. I will. I knew you. I, I was hoping you'd bring this up because I actually had to pull it up. Okay. Okay. You guys did lose. It was by one vote. Exactly one vote. Now I'm gonna end up after all of this. I'm gonna end up pulling the audio from when that when that happened. That whole transparency, you know, going on about about the voting. But yeah, it was one vote. That's what happened. That you guys well, were like you got you and the Cole brothers blew every other tag team that I even had listed out of the water. It was like like five or six votes and then it was like you guys up there like 100 101 just going back and forth back and forth well what was so funny about it is and if i think of you know to think about it now that was really the first time that a real life event had intruded on professional wrestling mm-hmm. and i think you know in, in michigan indies as far as i know you know mm-hmm. something that happened you know the cole brothers and us never even fought each other before this 
Mm-hmm. And if I remember right, we came on your show and we threw down a challenge for any promotion in Michigan to book Dirty White Trash versus the Cold Brothers. Yep. And I believe it was Mike Kelly that booked that. It was Mike Kelly that booked that match because he had us come to one of his shows and he put us in the crowd and we watched a match between uh, Bobby and Woody Lee versus the Cold Brothers. Mm-hmm. And that started generating interest for it. So between uh, 1460 AM and mm-hmm. Mike Kelly booking and promoting practices, that became mm-hmm. one of the most highly touted feuds, you know, in the early 2000s. And, so. and, and, that, and not just that, I think it was, it was a couple months after, I want to say it was in March of that year, I had Mike Kelly and the Cole brothers on the show. And I remember you guys calling in. And then it, it, I think it escalated from that as well. Yeah, I mean, so you, you, can, uh, you can ask if, you know, I had a hard time getting booked. No, because Zed and I were getting booked literally mm-hmm. everywhere at that point. Uh-huh. You guys were. I mean, basically, it was if you if there was a show on the weekend because I mean there weren't that many promotions at that time, especially in the Detroit area. I mean, we had the promotions on in Grand Rapids. You had LSW World, uh, Pro Wrestling Worldwide. You had um, uh, some. Uh, there's a couple other ones I can't think of. But over on this side, you had you had ICW. You had um, in 2000. You had XICW. You had Great Lakes Wrestling. You had NWA Michigan. You had uh, IWR. Um, uh, you had Section 8 Wrestling as well. Um, there weren't really many promotions, but, I mean, there there was, uh, for, the, for the shows, it, it was kind of like, okay, every weekend, there's only so many guys. If they're not on the show, you know, I mean, you guys were basically on every show. That, that I, I know that I'm aware of that I went to anyways. We weren't. The, the only shows that we really weren't on at that point in time, I think, were the IWR shows. But yep. we... Uh, it, it, but, and then there's the IWF um, Michigan that was... I don't even remember where that was. Well, you know, the Bump and Uglies, they, they actually did book us at one point uh, for the Brawl for Braxton. Because, mm-hmm. you know, we, we we essentially came up in the business with, you know, Big Brand or Yukon. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, so they, they did they gave us a small part in their Raw for Braxton show at that, uh, was it St. Andrew's Hall? Mm-hmm. So, you, yeah. you, you guys, you guys, I'm trying to, you guys weren't part of the first Brawl at the Hall that they had before that? I don't believe so. That might, I think might. that might have been the same time when you were doing the, uh, the Wing Cup on 97.1. I think it was right around the same time, wasn't it? About 2000, 2001, I think. It was the second one with Dominican Duel, I think. Yeah, it could mm-hmm. be. We, uh, um, my goodness. Um, I, I just lost all train of thought. I apologize. Um, oh, you're fine. <laughs> you're fine. Trust me. I mean, this is, like I said, this is, you know, uh, in, in, in doing this, I knew it was going to be a bit difficult for some because with how long ago it was. And I mean, like you said, you didn't you didn't work that much at that time, but obviously, I mean, there, there's a lot of things that you know can discuss if, if how things have obviously changed and good or bad, you know. Um, well, I think there was some heat at one point in time with me and uh, 
the uh, no, 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 that happened after Dirty White Trash. So yeah, I don't, uh, you know, with IWR you had so many tag, you had so many tag teams at that time with the threat and the bumping mm-hmm. uglies and everything else. There just wasn't room for Dirty White Trash then. Yeah. So yeah, tag team wrestling kind of picked up because like when you when you guys really when you guys were around, like you said, tag teams you had. Um, you had you guys, you had the Cole brothers, you had um, Cash Flow and uh, uh, Corporal Robinson, you know, yeah. the lynch mob. I mean, yeah. you, there weren't really that many tech. You got the Dark Riders. To be honest, I'm, I'm sitting here in, in a blank as the, you oh, know, the, the tech teams, really. What was that? Whip Dog and Nightmare, the Canadian bad boys. Yep, Canadian bad boys. Uh-huh. Uh, the Outlaws, but the Outlaws were starting to slow down at that point in time too. Yeah, that's true. But, that's true. Uh, like you were talking about when you decided to tag up with, with Zed, how did that all happen? Is that that was tailing out the beginning of uh, what two thousand? Okay, so yeah, so that would have been the beginning of two thousand. So at the time, uh, I was in a feud with Jimmy V and Andy Muscat, and. Mm-hmm. Uh, at one point in time, Malcolm put me out in the crowd in a leather jacket and a long, like, black wig and mm-hmm. hit me out in the crowd. And at the end, I believe it was at the end of one of Jimmy V's match, I hit the ring on him and put the beat down on him. And Zed was in the back. Well, Zed had, you know, real long, stringy, wet black hair. Mm-hmm. And I I had the wig on. Of course, I looked at him. And let's face it, we weren't politically correct. I looked at him and said, oh, look, I'm Zed's retarded little brother. And I looked at Malcolm, and I saw a spark in Malcolm's eye. I'm like, oh, no. And next thing you know, he's got us team, teaming up at a, a bar called Barnstormers against two guys by the name of Widowmaker and Brain Damage. And mm-hmm. uh, uh, <laughs> within the first 30 seconds of the match, Brain Damage broke my collarbone. But Zed and I kept going, and we wound up wrestling about a 20-minute match, me with a broken collarbone. And uh, that's uh, that's when it started up. I, I believe Zed came up with the name Dirty White Trash. And mm-hmm. uh, we, we went Dirty White Trash, and then all of a sudden we added Ivy to the mix. I don't remember how she got involved, but she was there. And, uh, yeah, the whole the whole thing just took off. About that, cause I, you know, I'm trying to remember if you were doing. I think you were doing because uh, obviously you, you've done all the types of wrestling with tag team singles, and then you've done hardcore. I'm trying to think if you did hardcore after that, or if you had done it um, before. Um, but I, had done it before. I had, had done, done it before. They had me wrestling Bug. Uh, you know, ICW was a little bit more extreme, and uh, they mm-hmm. they put me with Bug. And I think it was at some school they had me wrestle bug. And first time I went to uh, get some color, the same time I was going to get some color, bug threw me into a wall. And I wound yeah. up dragging it from the top of my head all the way down to almost to the bridge of my nose. And uh, they had to stop the show and clean up the show or clean, clean up the gym for about 20 minutes because of all the blood I'd spread from the top of the bleachers all the way to the uh gym floor and beyond. Mm-hmm. But once I stopped teaming with Zed, uh, that's really when all the hardcore started taking off for me. Your, Bu- your Buick City uh, brawls and uh, stuff like that with all the other promotions, obviously. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, the Buick City Street Fights, you know, that's kind of what started it all. And it just kind of steamrolled from there, you know, started wrestling DBA and like four corners of pain matches and uh, no rope, but barbed wire rope matches and uh, started getting into matches with uh, uh, brain damage and Ian Rotten and Necro Butcher and, you know, Bloody Bill Stallion, which is kind of cool because, you know, Bloody Bill Stallion was my very first uh, match that I ever saw that hooked me to wrestling. And then later down the line, I wound up beating Bloody Bill Stallion for the extreme uh, title at XICW. Nice. Now, uh, now, is, is there anything that, that obviously, because you've been around for 23 years, um, that you, it, it's going to be hard to, to think of this. I mean, there's, a, like you said, kayfabe was a lot different back then um, compared to how, I guess you'd say, open it is now. Um, do you think that that has ruined it a bit for not just the people in the business, but for the fans as well? No, I think it's opened up all new avenues and doors uh, for, for fans and uh, workers alike. Uh, my, the, the only difference I see now is the fact that I think I hold a greater respect for the business. And mm-hmm. a lot of times I'll fall back to old school values where I have to know that in this business, you have to change and evolve or you're going to get left behind. Uh-huh. I'm at the point where evolving anymore isn't an option. So uh-huh. I like the fact that I'm seeing all this influx of new talent. The only uh-huh. thing that I wish that trainers would instill in some of these people now is the history. Uh-huh. And, uh, you know, let, let's just say uh, how how to carry yourself. Mm-hmm. As opposed to, okay, here's a wrestling ring. Here's the moves. This is what you do. Go out there and go have fun. You know, mm-hmm. I, in my opinion, uh, wrestling is still a, a, a family and a brotherhood. And I, I just think the respect that was once there isn't there anymore mm-hmm. to, to a certain degree. But I see people like, and I'm just going to throw some names out there, like Hannah okay. Henderson. Uh, one of the new female workers here in Michigan right now. And I see how much she loves what she's doing and how how she is going to, in my opinion, she's going to carry the torch for for the next generation of women wrestlers here in Michigan. Uh, I, I, I see a, a, a bright future. Is it the same as when, you know, I broke into the business? No, but the the excitement level is still there the opportunity is just it's better for for the, for these young workers anymore and and yeah. in, in my opinion it's easier for fans to now get involved because let's face it you can go to a, a twitter account and you know uh, sometimes these wwe superstars will respond to you sometimes you know, these AEW fans will respond to you. And that's another mm-hmm. thing, too. You know, with, with the advent of social media, I mean, workers have better opportunities to get booked, to get seen, mm-hmm. and to get known more than, like me, when all I had was a grainy VHS tape and, mm-hmm. and a piece of paper listing who my trainer was. <laughs> yeah. So, 
I, I, I think, I, you know, despite what people say, uh, while kayfabe may, in some people's opinion, be dead, I just think yeah. it's evolved and uh, it, it's changing. And with, without change, you can't evolve. And that's what this business is. I mean, think about it. When I started in this business, my feet didn't leave the ground. You know, mm-hmm. uh, nowadays, these guys are doing uh, amazing aerial feats to where, you know, it, it's just a more, I don't want to say a pure form or a pure mm-hmm. art form, but it's it's advancing so rapidly that it, it makes it enjoyable to watch from what it was to what it is now. And I'm sorry if that was long-winded, but it's very hard to put in the words. So. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I mean, obviously, things that from back then, there wasn't anything called social media. There was just certain websites, if you can even find them. Like you mentioned, you know, obviously, I, I started the NWOW.com because there really wasn't any information on wrestling shows, you know, or, or what, anything that was going on locally. And, and like you said, too, is that what guys need that would um, some of the trainers need to, should do is teach about the history. Um, and that's another reason why I'm doing these, these uh, little interviews as well, because everyone always hears about something that happened back in the, in the day or a, about how it was back in the day. And this is the best way to, not just get written history or just by stories, but literally having the audio of guys that were in the business back then, especially in the state of Michigan, because if you think about it, you know, everyone said, well, or not has said, but says that the, the Indies are, are dead. The Indies are not dead. I've been fighting with the one guy that's online for years. Oh, the Indies are dead. They're not dead at all. This is where you, this is the crown jewel of the talent that you see on TV. I mean, obviously there's, you know, three promotion, uh, you've got, you know, NXT, you've got um, WWE and you've got AEW and you've got Impact as well. A lot of these guys all came from those, from those spots and it's nice to see a lot of them finally get their just due um, and be on TV. And, and not to cut you off, but you just said four promotions or the thing with the Michigan Indies is that there's a flavor for everybody. So, mm-hmm. you know, you you got, you know, traditional, classic, you know, mm-hmm. match-style wrestling out there. Or you got, you know, like for, you know, pro wrestling all-stars or, you know, uh, well, I don't, I don't you know, with, with so limited promotions right now, you, it's kind of hard to say in Michigan. But, you know, yeah. but then you got stuff that's evolved now, like Horror Slam and uh flop house wrestling and mm-hmm. you know there's a flavor for everybody in the indies and I mm-hmm. think what, if you don't like what you see on this show go to the next show because there's uh-huh. gonna be something on that one that you like and if you don't like that one hell with it go to another state go to florida mm-hmm. go check out arw for god's sakes alex red yeah. is doing amazing things down there you mm-hmm. know there, there's something for everybody you just you gotta gotta leave your front well no you don't have to leave your front door anymore because now there's that new uh wrestling channel out there what's yeah, that the IWTV. IWTV. yeah IWTV mm-hmm. yeah so check out IWTV it's a, a you know they're, they're not paying me nothing to say this but it's a subscription <laughs> service to where you can watch independent wrestling from your the comfort of your own living room find a flavor 
test everything out on that channel. See something you like? Go to that show. Go support those wrestlers. Go buy their gimmicks. Go pay the tickets and support independent wrestling because without fans, there isn't wrestling anyway. So mm-hmm. check it out. Mm-hmm. Hey, now, man, of I course, give a, yeah. I give a, heart, a heartfelt, passionate speech about independent wrestling. You give me a, uh-huh. Thanks, <laughs> <laughs> well, no, it, it, it's true, though. I mean, if you don't like one, go to another one. There's always something going on. And it's just a lot of people, they'll be like, if they go to one show, they don't like it. So then they're like, well, it's dead. Because they because they didn't like it, it wasn't it wasn't on their palate for them, so they just decide. Well, one is like the rest of them. I'm not going to go to any other ones, right? I mean, and, right. I don't know if IWT has anything of the '90s on there, but I'm sure there's plenty of stuff on YouTube. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there is. Yeah, I, I keep trying to pull as much as I could. I mean, I've got I've got a collection of the stuff. That the the bad thing is is that a, a lot of it. Um, I mean, I've got some valuable VHS and DVDs that I've got, and I've done it numerous times online, posting the posting, you know, doing the live video things of stuff that people either haven't seen, don't remember, even being a part of. Um, and you know, I, I look at I look at that, and it's just like there's so much history, like you said, there's so much history in the area that so many people don't know about, and. And like you said, yeah, we, we kind of stretched outside of, of, of that 90s thing, which is which is totally fine because there's that, especially when with where you started at, it's kind of, uh, you know, um, you only had a few years in, but still, you know, going into the, the, the next decade, um, there's still a lot of things going on, you know, with your, your career kind of going up from the start, like you said, like you said all the way going into 2000 obviously you're still here 23 years later you know not obviously wrestling in the last year or two but you're still a part of the business you're still involved you know you're still watching what what's going on locally and and also you know what's going on uh professional right right absolutely you know i uh try you know like they always say I was going to say, you know, I got kids and people reaching out to me all the time on Facebook. You know, pe- people got questions. That's all they got to do. They can find me. I'm Levi Blue on, on Facebook. You know, hit me with a message, send me a friend request. You know, you got questions you want answered. I, I'll i do the best I can to get them answered for you. Now, uh, before we, we end this here, because it's actually mapped out correctly here. You know, everyone does the name game. Everyone's got to do that, right? But obviously, we're going to stick to um, Michigan, and so that some people may know who they are. Um, now, did you? Uh, obviously, you were only around for a few years. But how much did you know about Dan Curtis at that time? The Gypsy. Yes. Uh, I worked with him for oh, what was it? I don't know, a handful of shows. So to say I knew Dan, no, I knew of Dan. And mm-hmm. what I know of Dan is that he he was a really, really uh, smart guy when it came to the business. So Obviously, he had his uh, Hellfire promotion, and everyone had their eyes on that. And then, of course, uh, his unfortunate passing. Um, we didn't get to see that to its, its full potential. We got to see the start of it, but... Sadly, we didn't get to see uh, the whole vision of uh, what he had for that promotion. 
Right, right. Yeah, that, no, that was going to be a hell of a promotion. Um, then you've got, uh, what about the Canadian Destroyer? Uh, Doug didn't like me so much. Um, <laughs> uh, he once he once we got to know each other, we got along just fine. Matter mm-hmm. of fact, we did uh, quite a few shows together. But uh, he was originally training the old war promotion out in South Lyon, okay. and I was asked to go out there to work with some of the guys. Uh, you know, I got to work with you know the Brooklyn Brawler at that point in time. And uh, I was working. Oh God, I, I the the names at that time. Jamie Cox was one of the workers by the name of Tiger Style. He was teaming with the Greek Assassin. Um, I, I just uh, went out there and was helping the guys along. Now, keep in mind, I was very new to the business, mm-hmm. and you know, Doug, being very old school didn't take too kindly for this new greenhorn coming in here and showing guys what he was picking up along the way. Mm-hmm. So back then I didn't get it. I mm-hmm. get it now. And, uh, you know, Doug was, uh, a, a mentor and he was a, uh, uh, he, he was a real, a real good guy. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, speaking of war too, did you ever end up working for the, for the Don promotion at Detroit area wrestling network promotion? When they had the oh, few shows ahead. Yes, I did. Uh, yeah, you want to hear a funny story? Yeah, let's hear it. <laughs> I, I, I heard there, there was there's a lot there's a lot of things that I used to hear from Mojo about Don um, before and after the um, when we did the radio shows. Did, did he tell stuff. you about Kid Rock? No, he never told you about Kid Rock showing up. No, I don't think he ever did. <laughs> okay, so. I was wrestling a guy by the name of Major Disaster. Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, he he was um, Tommy Thorne's partner in that brawl we did at the radio station. Frag. Okay. Yeah, Frag. Yep. Okay. So his gimmick before then was Major Disaster, and we're in the back. And we're talking this out, talking this match out, and Mojo comes running over. He's like, "Hey, Levi, did you meet Kid Rock?" I'm like, who the hell is Kid Rock? He's like, he's right over there. I'm like, who the hell is he? He's like, oh, he's, a, he's a rapper from Detroit. Man, I ain't got time to talk to no rapper from Detroit. I, you know, mm-hmm. I look over, there's a skinny ragamuffin, got this little kid with him and shit. Man, I got, I got to talk out this match with Randy. You know, let's face it, Randy was greener than grass. Mm-hmm. Well, then what was it? Two months later, Devil Without a Cause went triple platinum. Mm-hmm. I had no idea that Kid Rock was this Kid Rock. <laughs> this kid rocks. So, you know, two months later, I'm kicking myself in the ass because, hey, I could have met this cat. Well, my my bad. I can't believe Mojo never told you that. No, I don't think he did because, to be honest, at that time, I didn't like Kid Rock. So that might have been why. Okay. I wouldn't have fanboyed over Kid Rock. And to be honest, I, I don't – at that time, I when I at my job, there's a guy that brought in his album before, you know, when he um, – the album first came out and he would play it over and over again. And I was just so over it, overhearing Kid Rock. Every time he put Kid Rock, he'd walk out of the kitchen, we'd take his DVD, we'd take his CD and we'd hide it. And we'd throw it out. I think I think he bought that CD like five times. Because there's one time he grabbed he played it, he walked out, we're like, dude, don't play it again. It's gonna disappear. Oh no, you guys, you guys are done with that. He played it, walked out of the kitchen, we grabbed it and we frisbeed it to the back of, of 
the old hoops up there in uh, twenty four. He just frisbeed it right into the right into the golf course. So if he wanted, he had to go search you all of it. He didn't care. You were done with it. Yeah. You, can, you can only you can only hear the same song so many times over a hundred times. And I'm not joking when I say at least a hundred times. He would like play a couple tracks and then he played. Yeah, well, Mojo, Mojo had a hell of a thing going with that Dawn Wrestling. That that promotion would have been big too. I don't know what why the bottom fell off the bottom of that one, but uh, that was going to be a good promotion. Uh, then we got uh, Mike Kelly. Like I said, he, he gave you that, that opportunity just just by literally. It, it's still when, when me and you did that interview back in I, I want to say it was like 2011. I still have that video. I, I haven't watched it since we did that. Remember that that one interview we did. Um, and then we never finished it back in like 2011. I don't remember, remember that. that? I oh, you like don't it. remember? Okay. Well, I, I, we were at, um, it was after Terry's lounge burned down and you guys were at a different location there in Flint. I actually took me and, um, at the time that's, that's how we know it was, it was a good, like 11 years ago or so. Um, and we did a little interview and that was the first time that you had told me about the um the cold brothers and that you know the glw because you guys ended up winning i know we're going back to the 2000s but that you guys had um that's when you guys won the glw titles at the livonia spree that was the first time i'd ever first time you'd ever told me and it threw me completely off after that um because i'd never known that our little show at that time helped you guys and i was just like okay we felt no one listens to it or whatever we knew people listened to it but didn't know how you know like i said the the, the website the nwow.com and that fan poll and just um what what i did on the radio talking about you know giving the independent wrestling promotions and wrestlers a spot to kind of talk about themselves and, and promote themselves um for the area that it actually had an actual effect on things that were going on it really did because you got to remember like you said there wasn't too many sites back then you know i mean uh -huh. you're almost talking about the infancy of the internet there wasn't uh -huh. too many things going on that would, would tell you what was going on with the indies except for the 438 hotlines you had the 438 hotlines you had a couple miscellaneous websites i think uh, to be honest, I think Gory was one of the guys that ran one of the, the little uh, Michigan indie wrestling website things back in like 97, 98, which had, um, you know, it only had stuff like um, Ma on there, Raw, um, you know, Re Real Action Wrestling. Um, it had uh, the Michigan Wrestling Alliance on there. It had NSWA, and that's literally all I had on there. And then it had all the other, you know, promotions that have small little things but there really wasn't any activity but with the radio with the promotion that i did because i you know i ran the commercials for it i had that little two two minute indie drill that i i played um that if i didn't speak about it during the show when i had the interviews um everyone knew what shows were going on that that weekend you know it was, it was an update and then of course you know saying we'll go to nww.com blah 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 you know that thing um but I, I knew there was a lot of traffic that went to that website. Um, I just didn't, like I said, I didn't know the significance of how it affected things. And I'm not saying that it, it, it affected a lot of things, but the whole thing with, with you guys and, and GLW um, was just like, wow, you know.
after all those years to find that out. It was just it was, it was really surprising because you got to think a small little AM station um, that barely put out past the past the next main road about four blocks away. It did something good, you know, like you said, plus the website, because there wasn't much advertisement. And that was something that I wanted to do. And at first, I was told that, you know, no one's going to care. Well, obviously, people did. That's proof right there, I guess. Yep, sure did. I, I, I still can't believe that, though, like I said, even though it's stretching out, out of the 90s just a bit. Um, when you guys did that that match, and we've got it on YouTube, and, I, and I'll put a link to it as well. Um, when you guys did that match, we did not know what you guys were going to do. I don't even know if you guys even knew what you were going to do. Um, but I knew I, knew I was going to fall out of a car. That's all I knew. <laughs> <laughs> that that scene alone, and you guys falling through the garbage can, are like the two highlights of that entire thing. <laughs> and, and and other than me almost getting hit by the car when you guys drove around the corner and I went to see what was going on and literally live on the radio almost died because I almost got hit by a car. And literally if Mojo had not grabbed my collar, I probably would have gotten hit because he saw the shadow. I didn't because I was just talking and uh, he was holding the camera and just happened to grab my collar literally like a split second before you guys came around that corner and peeled out of there. It's, it was great. <laughs> Yeah, like you said, man, those were the days. Yeah. Um, but but like we were saying that um, you know, Mike Kelly gave you gave you guys uh, um that shot, you know, for the for the titles there. I mean, was he really? I mean, with all the promotions, were you guys, you know, trying to get on GLW as well when you guys were were doing that? We thought we thought we were going to go big time. We mm-hmm. we we. We were planning on blowing up. I know the Code Brothers were talking about at one point in time, uh, Joe Lewis and us wrestling on a dark match for the Fed, mm-hmm. and that never transpired because then Zed uh, decided to go another route. And uh-huh. I mean, I can't blame him. I mean, he had other things going, uh, mm-hmm. which you brought up earlier. That's what started the. Uh, incarnation of Ooga Booga. Uh, Yeah, so. Yeah, you are going to talk to the Cole Brothers about the Dirty White Trash feud, right? Yes. Oh, yes, I will. Yeah, I'll be bringing that, trust me. I've I've never took so many nut shots in a match in my life. I must have took took 50 nut shots the first night of the Livonia Spree. (laughs) Yeah, well, I'll be I'll be uh, talking with DBA too, so I'll be bringing up that uh, that match at uh, Cleveland Del Pro. Yeah, okay. I'll, I'll, now, now that I've got that info, I'm to bring that one up. Um, and, and and speaking speaking to him, um, you know, you're like you said, he he's your he was one of your mentors, one of your trainers. Um, that's my brother, uh, Malcolm Monroe Jr. Yeah, Malcolm Monroe Jr. Yeah, that's my DBA. brother. That's I mean that's that's really in a way to say it. I mean, like I said, you. you you said before you go to take a booking, you contact him. You know, it, like I said, it's the, it's the respect of the family. Um, you know, the, especially his family. It's you know, we're three generations in, in the wrestling business in in Michigan. You know, like we said, there's that that there's that history thing that once again that people need to know, you know the, the history of the business because some people like have you ever gone to the shows? I'm, I'm not saying that it has happened, but um, some of the older guys that you got newer guys that are coming in 
with your history in, in, in Michigan, especially with XICW and stuff, you, do you feel that, res you still feel that, that respect that these people, you know, know who you are and respect who you are and what you've done in, in the, the industry and in, in the, the area? It, you know, it's weird. Uh, and the answer to that is yes. Uh, I, you know, people, I, don't get me wrong, and I'm not trying to sound arrogant when I say this, but when people call me a Hall of Famer, when people call me a legend, when people call me an icon, you know, I, I, I think to myself, this, you know, I, I, I play it off as part of the gimmick that's Levi Blue. But as Sean, when people come up and they start talking about how, you know, their dad used to bring them to the matches and how I would make them laugh or, you know, uh, how I made, you know, their dad feel who passed away, you know, different things like that. And I see the amount of influence the character Levi Blue has, you know, it, it really makes me, uh, number one, it humbles me to know that I had that kind of influence on people's lives. And number two, it makes me appreciate the things that Malcolm Sr. and DBA and his family gave me because if it wasn't for the Monroes, there wouldn't be, in my opinion, a Levi Blue. There wouldn't be uh, Michigan wrestling as it stands now. Yeah. Uh, because without their influence, without what Malcolm brought to the table, with, without what uh, him and A.T. Huck would bring to the table, uh, there, w there wouldn't be what I see as the Michigan independent now. So. Mm -hmm. Okay. That, and that's true. Like I said, that's, uh, you know, the, the history thing, and that's one of the reasons why, you know, as well, like I, I started that, that Michigan wrestling flashback page because – it's history you know there's stuff that i've posted on there that people probably don't even have never heard of never seen you know that there's wrestling in their town or whatnot or articles that people are probably a part of or aware that they were in them um or shows that were nearby that they never knew about um, because of how things were back in the days and, and, and obviously now you've got social media where you've got the guys that if they're on the show they they'll post it or promotion posts, you know, that they're having shows and whatnot. And it's, you know, obviously I've said times have changed with advertising because there, like, I, like I've said numerous times, there's the media back then there was none, you know, if, if someone could you know happen to be able to get a commercial to air um, during raw or something on a local cable or whatever, they were, you know, they're really lucky. But other than that, there wasn't any ways except for posting them in windows. You know, and that's, I mean, some people still do that now, fly other cars and whatnot, but everyone really kind of reaches for social media, where back in the day, that was literally the only way you could really get across with, uh, if there was a wrestling show going on, is by going to an event nearby or whatever, post, plastering it on, on a window of the grocery store or wherever, you know, or even at the school to advertise that you've got a show. I mean, I had a guy that brought, the Rams one that I worked at in Rochester Hills, Michigan, guy came up to me one day. He just saw I was wearing a WCW shirt. No, it wasn't a Goldberg shirt, but it was a WCW shirt. I mean, NWO shirt. And the guy's like, hey, you like wrestling? I'm like, yeah, you know. And he handed me 
uh, flyer is the the one BCW flyer that I have. And he was uh, over in the States advertising a show that was across the border. So, I mean, that was how they worked, you know, the advertising back then was you wow. got to go somewhere. I mean, like I said, this guy was all the way here. There wasn't any indie shows going on that weekend, but he was, he just saw me with a shirt. He's like, Hey, there's a show and handed me this long flyer. That was a BCW flyer. I still have that flyer to the day and I still have the phone number on the back of the guy that contacted my tickets, which is hilarious. Well, let me, let me give you one more story about advertising and then we're, we're I'm, I'm going to have to get out of here. Oh no, okay. oh, no you're, you're good. Okay. So here's, Here's my story about advertising, okay? Fact of the matter is, is we all know that Levi Blue was a promoter at one point in time, okay? Mm-hmm. And I feel that paper flyers are still important to this day, and I'm going to tell you why. You just can't rely on social media because mm-hmm. I was booked for a show for Eric Freedom uh, up in, I believe it was Gladwin, Michigan. At the Ice Yep, at the ice arena. And I get a call one day, and it's Tracy, Eric's wife. And she says, uh, hey, Hillbilly. I says, hey, what's up, Tracy? She says, I got a, got a phone call that I think you might be interested in. I says, okay. She says, uh, got a call from a guy who said that he saw your picture on one of our posters up here. And he thinks you're his brother. Fact of the matter is, is at that point in time, I didn't, I didn't have any contact with my brother for over 20 years. And uh, through Tracy, we set it up that I was going to meet my brother for the first time in over 20 years at that show. And they were going to do this whole thing where they were going to film it and tape it, this, that, and the other. Mm-hmm. And uh, make a long story short, probably the most nervous I've ever been wrestling on a show in my life. And I get there, and I look in the crowd, and I couldn't hardly contain myself because there, after 25 years, was my brother, his wife, and my niece Harley, who I had never met before in my life. Wow. And yeah. Now. That is why media other than computer-generated social media is mm-hmm. still important to get out there and advertise. Because if my brother hadn't seen that poster, mm-hmm. him and I would have never been reunited. And I wouldn't have the type of relationship that I have with my niece now. Wow. So there, there, there you go for advertising. <laughs> That, yeah, that I mean, that is that's one of those that's one of those key things where it's, you know, uh, if that hadn't been posted, if they just stuck to social media, you know, you would have never seen it and it never would have happened. And, and it's just that, that course, it's, it's always how they say, like, some things are meant to be sometimes, you, you know what I'm saying? Not always, but um, but that right there uh, is definitely a, a memory that you guys will share um, forever. And, and I and, I mean that's that's wild, right there. That's definitely yeah, it was, wild. It was, it was pretty big, you know. So promoters don't just depend on social media to get the, your product out. Get it out on paper. So, mm-hmm. Yes. So uh, <laughs> I, I want to thank you. I mean, I, I've known for people that don't know uh, they're listening. I've known you for over twenty years. Um, you're 
literally the only one that I ever listen to when they tell me that, hey, calm your tits, calm down, stop doing what you're doing. <laughs> yeah, I got a real year every once in a while. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I mean, back 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 in the day, um, I used to. Uh, I mean, obviously we're all young, dumb, and stupid, and uh, I used to get myself in trouble. But like like I always tell people, it's not a gimmick. It's how I am. You know, and it's uh, I, I laugh when I say that because it's it's me. Some people, because at that time I was on doing radio and whatnot, they're like, oh, he's just doing it. No, I'm not doing it for anything. You know, it's how I am. You know, I mean, it's, it's better to be who I am than, than pretend, you know. And so I'd get myself and I'd put my foot in my mouth quite a few times and, and uh, you know, would have to every few times had to go to a show and there's somebody that uh, might have said something to and next thing I know I'm running out the door because I'm running for my life but other than that you know <laughs> well that's why we get along so well so <laughs> yeah. well uh so let, let everyone know where they can find you again on, on social media if they want to follow you and, and I mean you do give a lot of advice um on your page even if people don't know who you are there's a lot of sound advice um for people that are just now getting into the business and, and you've had really good um on site on certain wrestlers um you've posted that numerous times you're like why why are they not why is this person not here why are they yeah you said a few times like you, you were talking about um i, I apologize for the, the name i can't remember the name that you had, you had stated um about that was coming out of the state of michigan that everyone needs to watch um but you, oh, you do think that, that yes yeah. Yes, but there's you you there's a lot of things where you you might not post much, and then all of a sudden you've got like these these visions, which are great, you know. For uh, the people that have known you, they know that this isn't some you know. Because a lot of guys on their pages, they come out with their little gimmick stuff, and everyone's trying to figure out if it's real or not, you know. If they're trying to play whatever, but you do have some sound advice. I mean, you've been in the business 23 years, um, and, and you're. Like I said, you're still watching, even though you're not in the ring. You're still watching what's going on. You're still actively involved um, in that sense. Is the is the the, the future of the business, um, where just like when you started out, you were just you were just this green guy. You were just starting out, and you had you know maybe you had um, you had Malcolm Senior, you know, basically watching and, and seeing you grow, and you know DBA seeing you grow, and you're now doing that 23 years later watching people and giving advice and trained wrestlers as well so you're just passing on that knowledge and like i said with these interviews it's, it's passing on it's it's showing the history of knowledge being passed from one to another and that's really some of the the, the story that i'm trying to bring out of all these interviews and i like i said i, I do want to thank you for doing this interview because we haven't done an interview in probably about other than the one that you don't remember um, a good 20 years so yeah it's been a while yeah i mean anybody you know any, anybody wants to get a hold of me uh i'm on facebook uh i believe it's facebook.com backslash levi.blue.56 mm -hmm. i don't know where that dot 56 came from but yeah you know it, there's a whole new crop of wrestlers out there that you know people really need to watch you know uh, the Death Threat Army, uh, Hannah Henderson. Um, I, I mean, the, the list goes on and on. Uh, mm -hmm. The Dread King Logan. 
I mean, one of my students is just out there tearing it up right now. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, go go check out you know XICW Horror Slam Flophouse. You know, Pro Wrestling All Stars. You know, once the pandemic, once the restrictions are lifted, uh, these indie promotions are going to need you. They're going to need you, fans. We 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 got to get out there. We got to support these companies. You know, if you can do it, if you go, you know, go to your favorite independent workers uh, Facebook site after selling merch, you know, support them. Buy a shirt, buy a DVD, buy buy something. Support these people if you can do it. So that way, once these restrictions are lifted, we can go back to having the fun that we were having pre-COVID. Mm-hmm. That's right. Like I said, thank you very much. Uh, obviously, I've got some editing to do. Um, but this will be will be on soon. <laughs> so, all right. Thank you very much. All right. Thanks, brother. Thanks for having me on.